0: Welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Julia.
1: Hi, Lauren. How are you? I'm great. Great. What a great month we're having. Oh my gosh, such a busy month. I was in New York for a couple of days. Yeah, it, you were. And it nearly killed me. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah. I was there for a conference. It was the Art Museum Curators Conference of the Association of Art Museum Curators. What and acronym is that there? AMC. Okay, yeah. So we don't call it AMP or anything like that. It's just AMC. Uh, and it was my first time because now I'm a curator. And Congratulations! Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, and it was fun. I met a lot of nice people, uh, a lot of different curators from all over the place. Um, I did not hand out our business card. I know. I'm. Ugh. I know you're disappointed in me. We but can't but- bill that to the account thing. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't, can't get write reimbursed. You yeah. can't write it off. I can't. But I was, and I brought some, but I was afraid to, because everybody there was so much smarter than I
0: was. (laughs) Oh, that's not true. This is how you could have proved you were smarter than them. I know, that's
1: true. Like, I have a trivia podcast, Uh, but they knew a lot more about contemporary art than I did. I mean...
0: Lauren, does anybody really know anything about I contemporary art? I don't think art? so,
1: but they sounded really smart. Um, but I, I did make a couple of friends. Uh, shout out to Rosamond, and in Tennessee, she doesn't listen to this podcast. But you didn't give her your card. Oh, no, I didn't give her my card. <laughs> now so i'll oh, probably nice. like i'll probably slip drop it in there
0: oh i, I was just recording my podcast the other and night she'll be like
1: what podcast and i'll be like oh i didn't mention that i have a podcast and then we're off to the races uh so but when i was there aside from podcast slash um serious imposter syndrome i went to the brooklyn museum and i got to see judy chicago's uh the dinner <gasps> party Ugh, you're you ever- gonna have to do a whole thing on that later oh my gosh yes because it's it's like, I think it's 45 women Mm -hmm. and their place settings is this big triangular table and it's permanently installed at the Brooklyn Museum. And it is so beautiful. Like, it's not only just a seminal piece of feminist artwork, as most of you know, because we have a bunch of ladies listening to us, but it's also like a great piece of artwork. There's all sorts of aspects of um, like traditionally women's like craft mm-hmm. that is in it. So there's embroidery and tapestry making and ceramic paintings, painted ceramics and like all of this stuff. Um, and it's really cool. And the, uh, the place settings, the plates are very vulver, uh, like a vagina, as you can, as you know, um, <sighs> Julia, I mean, I know that you're being, you have a dismissive face right now, but again, I don't know if I mentioned to you that it's a seminal piece of feminist artwork. <laughs> But it's good. It's great. It's a beautiful Uh, piece. I loved it. Um, So yeah, it changed my life. Um, So uh, now I'm back and I took a couple of days to heal my feet from walking all over New York. And you watched all the garbage off you. Oh my God. It's such a disgusting city. I don't know why anyone lives there. I mean, it's a nice place to visit, but it was, it rained one day. Oh, and I saw Jamila Jamil. Yeah. Yeah. I saw her outside of my hotel and I took a picture and I sent it to you. Um, and everyone I was with, except for my boss, had no idea who I was talking about. <gasps>
0: oh. Absolutely
1: none. So it was That's heartbreaking that I didn't have anybody else who was like excited about You were about so it. much smarter than everyone you were with. <laughs> then. I was more, I was smarter about life. Well, like pop culture stuff. <laughs> so, well, anyway, so, uh, you know, this is my second installment of our uh, for our theme month. Mm-hmm. Our theme month, our long-running theme month. Mythology, mythology May. May! Oh, so good. Uh, so this <laughs> this week, um, I'm going to be doing uh, Japanese mythology. Of which I know nothing oh you're gonna love it okay so japanese mythology embraces shinto and buddhist traditions as well as agriculturally based folk religion uh the shinto pantheon comprises innumerable kami which are which is japanese for gods so when i say kami from here on out it's god you're not talking about those the red army the red army kamis. oh (laughs) kamis. oh you're right no i am not talking about (laughs) Um, That's a totally different episode. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So Japanese myths as generally recognized in the mainstream today are based on the Koziki, the Nihon Shoki and some complementary books. So the Koziki or Record of Ancient Matters is the oldest surviving account of Japan's myths, legends and history. Um, One notable feature of Japanese mythology is its explanation of the origin of the imperial family, which has been used historically to assign godhood to the imperial line. The title of the emperor of Japan, which is Tennō, means heavenly sovereign. Okay. So instead of king, like in their language, instead of king or emperor, they say Tennō, heavenly sovereign. Oh, okay. And then name. Um, also, uh, just right off the top, there's a lot of Japanese words in here, and Jap- Japanese is a tonal language, uh, so I, um, it's very difficult for me, who already has a hard time with French. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is one of the lingua francas of this world (laughs) so um I apologize to anyone and everyone who uh speaks Japanese um I am trying my best
0: you might do great I might do great I might might turn out to be like a native really good at Japanese yeah like you
1: just don't know it yet. I bumped my head on my way over here and suddenly I can fluently speak Japanese (laughs) like those people who wake up with accents you know okay so here's the um here's the creation story okay so at the beginning the universe was immersed in a beaten and shapeless kind of matter so it was chaos sunk. everybody has chaos it seems oh yeah absolutely it was sunk in silence later there were sounds indicating the movement of particles with this movement the light and the lightest particles rose but the particles were not as fast as the light and could go no higher Thus, the light was at the top of the universe, and below it, the particles formed first the clouds and then heaven. This is beautiful. You're really painting a picture is Isn't it beautiful? I didn't even... I can I can. Yeah, you can see it kind of like separating out and everything. I mean, the Japanese, they really know what they're talking about. Um, So heaven uh, was to be called uh, Takamagahara, which is a high plane of heaven. And the rest of the particles that had not risen formed a huge mass, dense and dark, to be called earth. So... When Takamagahara was formed, the first three gods of Japanese mythology appeared. Okay, here we go. Amenomina Kanusi, uh, Takamie Misuhi no Kami, and Kami Misuhi no Kami. Uh, Subsequently, two gods emerged in the Takamagahara from an object similar to a reed shoot. Um, Umasi Askabi Hikazi no Kami and... Ama no tatsi no kami. Uh, I will not be repeating these. I'm so impressed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, hope you got that. Uh, so, these five <laughs> hey, deities rewind. <laughs> yeah. Rewind if you need to hear it again. Uh, these five deities, known as the Koto Amatsukami, appear spontaneously, did not have a definite sex, and did not have a partner, which is known as Hitokorigami, and went into hiding after their emergence. So, these gods, they emerged. They were shapeless and form and were asexual and they disappeared. So, huh. These gods are not mentioned in the rest of the mythology. <laughs> so that's why I'm not going to mention them again. Okay. So then two other gods arose uh, Kuni no Tokotaki no Kami and Toyo no no Kami. These gods also emerged spontaneously, did not have a defined sex, did not have a partner, and hid at birth. Okay. Okay. So then, five pairs of gods were born for a total of ten. So the second
0: gen, of second gods gen of these gods,
1: birthed the the five the pairs. The five pairs, yep. So each pair consisting of a male deity and a female deity. So there's Yuhiji Anai and his younger sister and wife. Again, we're gonna get to this like, yeah. I mean, honestly, mythology and incest, guys. We got to do better as like a global culture. Hand in hand, hand in hand. Uh, Okay, so his younger sister and wife was called uh, Suhiji Ainai, and then there was uh, Tsunuguhi and his younger sister and wife Ikuguhi. Ikuguhi? Ikuguhi. (laughs) Ikuguhi. 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 We will not be mentioning her again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then there's Otonoji and his younger sister and wife, Otonobi. Uh, Omudaro and his younger sister and wife, uh, Aikashikone, and... Izanagi and his younger sister and wife, Izanami. So, those are the two we're going to talk about. Okay. Izanagi and Izanami. And the way you can remember them is that Izanagi has a G and he's a guy. Uh-huh. And Izanami has an M and she's a mom. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with that. You don't even understand. Right now. I was <laughs> so pumped about that. <laughs> um, so.
0: Izanagi is the guy and Izanami
1: is the mom. Yes. Perfect. Great. I love it. So all deities from Kuninokotokitachi to Izanami are collectively called the Kamiyonayano which is the seven divine generations. Japan's creation narrative can be divided into the birth of the deities which is the Kamiyumi so that's the story of the birth of the deities and the birth of the land which is kaniyumi with an N. Uh, The seventh and last generation of Kami Yonanayo were Izanagi no Mikoto and Izanami no Mikoto, which is exalted male and exalted female, the two that I was talking about before. They would be responsible for the creation of the Japanese archipelago and would create other deities. To help them to achieve this, Izanagi and Izanami were given a naginata, which is a kind of sword, um, which was decorated with jewels uh, and named Heavenly Jeweled Spear. It's pretty nice. Isn't that nice? Um, the two deities then went to the bridge between heaven and earth, which is known as floating bridge of heaven. And they churned the seas below with the end of the sword. Okay. So drops of salty water formed the island Onogoro, which is d- uh, the definition of that as self-forming. The deities descended from the bridge of heaven and made their home on the island. Eventually they fell in love and wished to mate. Now the phrase wished to mate Sounds dehumanizing. So we're going to say wished to procreate. Okay. Uh, so they built a pillar uh, called Aminomi Hasara, around which they built a palace called Yeshiro Dono, which is uh, the hall whose area is eight arms length squared. And Julia's uh, l- like pulling out her arms. Yeah. <laughs> Just pulling them. put <laughs> As, if only you could do that because you you always say I would say, sleep so much better. Would, I would sleep so much better if I could pop, pop my arms out like a Barbie doll, you know? Anyway, uh, so Izanagi and Izanami circled the pillar in opposite directions and when they met on the other side, Izanami, the female deity, spoke first in greeting. She was like, how you doing? Izanagi didn't think this was proper but they procreated anyway. So uh, she was
0: in charge, kind of.
1: Yes, well, didn't work out well yeah. for her. So they had two children, Hikuru, which is uh, Leech Child and Awashima, Pale Island. Uh, the children were badly formed and are not considered gods in their original form. Uh, Hikuto later became the Japanese god uh, Ibisu, which I will talk about later. Uh, the parents who were dismayed at their misfortune put the children into a boat and sent them to sea and then petitioned the other gods for an answer about what they had done wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I think probably sleeping with your sister was probably... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> probably. They were like, oh, you know what? Well, wait, hold on. Let me tell the rest of the story, and then we're going to talk about this. So they were informed that the that Izanami's lack of manners was the reason for the defective births. A woman should never speak prior to a man, and the male deity should have spoken first in greeting during the ceremony. So, no, it's not that you had sex with your sister and had two freak children. It was you were that you had to put on a boat. That you had to put on a boat and be like, uh, goo. "Good luck. <laughs> I don't want to look at you anymore." <laughs> they were it was because she was like. Hey, because she said, what's up? Okay, let's do this. All right. Brother husband. All right. Uh, so, so Izanagi and Inzami went around the pillar again. And this time when they met, Izanaki spoke first. Um, their next union was successful. It says here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so from their union was born the Oyashima or the eight great islands of Japan. Awaji, uh, Iyo, which is later Shikoku, Oki, Tsukushi, later Kyushu, Iki Tsuchima, Sado Yamato, which is later Honshu. Um, and uh, note that Hokkaido, Tsushima, and Okinawa were not part of uh, Japan in ancient times. Okay, They were added later. Hmm. Um, Itzanami, coincidentally, died giving birth to Kagutsuchi, which is the incarnation of fire, also called Homosubi, which is the causer of fire, um, due to severe burns. So while giving oh. birth to this like flame fire. child she burned to death. Um, so she was then buried on M- Mount Hiba at the border of the old provinces of Izumo and Hoki, near modern-day Yasugi of Shima- Shimane Prefecture. Uh, so in anger, Izanagi, her husband, killed uh, Kagutsuchi because uh, he was like, you killed my wife, you burning so horrible fire- child. He killed the fire. He killed the fire kid. Okay. Um, his death also created dozens of deities. Oh, here's another thing about Japanese mythology. Okay. Very very rarely do people have sex in order to have children. Okay. Children just spring forth from anything. Okay. Like, someone dies, 60 people pop out. (laughs) A guy blows his nose, there's a god. You know, like, it's, it's, (laughs) like, I mean, they really populated the earth quickly, I guess you could say. So the gods who were born from Izanaki and Izami are symbolic aspects of nature and culture. So all of their children are symbolic aspects of nature and culture. So gods of different parts of Mm -hmm that so here's the next story izanagi lamented the death of izanami and undertook a journey to yomi which is the shadowy land of the dead uh izanagi found little difference between yomi and the land above except for the eternal darkness which you know that's kind Uh, of a big big sign. um however this suffocating darkness was enough to make him ache for light and life quickly he searched for izanami and found her at first izanagi could not see her for she was well hidden in the shadows uh, nevertheless, he asked her to return with him, and Izanami spat at Izanagi and informed him that he was too late. She had already eaten the food of the underworld and now belonged to the land of the dead. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we'll also talk about the food of
1: the underworld later, but yeah. that's confusing. Right? It's a thing. So apparently the, the thing is, if you eat at the hearth of the underworld, now whatever, anything, you're there, anything, now you're there, you're there permanently. Which, if you think about it, in terms of culture, like consuming food in someone's home makes you part of their family because it's a very intimate experience. Okay, Do you know what I mean. Okay, so that's—I just came up with that just now. I am smart, AMC. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she ate the food. She was like, she spat at him. She was like, "Fuck you." Um, so uh, Izanagi was shocked at this news, but he refused to give in to her wishes to be left in the dark embrace of Yomi. So, Itzanami agreed to return to the world, but first requested to have some time to rest. She instructed Izanagi to not come into her bedroom. She, he should have listened. After a long <laughs> wait, Itzanami did not come out of her bedroom, and Izanagi was worried. While Itzanami was sleeping, he took the comb that bound his long hair and set it alight as a torch. Uh, Under the sudden burst of light, he saw the horrid form of the once beautiful and graceful Izanami. The flesh of her ravaged body was rotting and was overrun with maggots and foul creatures. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, So screaming aloud, Izanagi could no longer control his fear and started to run, intending to return to the living and to abandon his death-ridden wife. Izanami woke up shrieking and indignant and chased after him. Izanami instructed the Shikome, or foul women, uh to hunt for the frightened Inagi and to bring him back. Here's where it gets weird. Here's <laughs> where it gets weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here is where it gets weird. Uh Izanagi, thinking quickly, hurled his headdress. Oh, he was wearing a hat. Hurled his headdress, which became a bunch of black grapes. Uh the shikome fell on these but continued pursuit. Next, Izanagi threw his comb, which became a clump of bamboo shoots. Now it was Yomi's creatures that began to give chase, but Izanagi urinated against a tree and created a great river that increased his lead. <laughs> I know he's and he's in the dark. Oh, he's in the dark, and he's running and running, and he's his headdress he's is just gone. He's hurling. He's hurling stuff off behind themselves. him. And it's turning into things, and he's like they're gaining on him. Peas against a tree, which you'd think would like like shorten your lead because you gotta like you know you gotta unzip and. And you got to pee. You got to wait for it to come. You know, and uh, I don't know about you, but if I'm under pressure, I cannot pee. I cannot. You have a horde of undead. <laughs> yeah. Lemon. Or even just someone knocking on the door. Like, mm-hmm. uh, is anyone in here? Forget it. It's gone all back into me. Anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So he. Okay. So he peed a great river. Um, unfortunately, the Shikome still pursued Izanaki, who began to hurl peaches at them. Where did he get those? I don't know. Well, he's a god, so maybe he just like manifested Psh, them. Poop peaches. Um, this sounds like like a like a fun uh mobile app game, you know? <laughs> Doesn't it? Like hurling peaches? <laughs> Um, he knew that this would not delay them for long but he was nearly free for the boundary of Yomi was now close at hand Izanagi burst through the entrance and quickly pushed a boulder to the entrance of Yomi Izanami screamed from behind this barricade and told Izanagi that if he left her she would destroy a thousand living people every day he furiously replied that he would give life to 1500 and so began the existence of death caused by the hands of the proud Izanagi and his abandoned wife Izanami
0: so he went So she died She died given, given birth to the fired child Yes And then
1: He goes into Yomi He
0: was like I love her so much I miss her mm-hmm. And then he saw That she was real
1: dead And he was like Like, Ooh, like in The for Exorcist no, Yes
0: Like in The Shining Yes That that one room The lady in The Shining I've had nightmares about that Oh my god Probably. you're right probably once a month. I have a bad dream <laughs> oh with that God, lady that's in it. It's awful. Uh, and then he's like, "Nope, this yeah. is a bad idea." I do, and then he like this. Scooby-doos himself out of there. Exactly.
1: And then that's why but not, that's why we have death now. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So and they never go back together cuz I mean, she's pissed, and I don't blame her.
0: I, was, I mean like her flesh is falling
1: off. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's it's probably it hurts a lot. So, um as to be expected, Izanagi went on to purify himself after recovering from his descent to Yomi. Took a quick shower. He's like, can't do <laughs> a this. A couple of showers. <laughs> so as he undressed and removed the adornments of his body, each item that he dropped to the ground formed a god. Again, gods just pop out of nowhere. Okay. So even more gods came into being when he went to the water to wash himself. The most important ones were created once he washed his face. Okay. Um, Amaterasu, incarnation of the sun from his left eye, Tsukuyomi, the incarnation of the moon from his right eye, and Suzano, incarnation of storms from his nose. Uh, Izanagi went on to divide the world between them uh, with Amaratsu inheriting the heavens, Tsukuyomi taking control of the night and moon, and the storm god Suzano owning the seas. In some versions of the myth, uh, Suzano rules not only the seas, but also all elements of a storm, including snow and hail, and in rare cases, even sand. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense. It's near the sea. Yeah. It's adjacent. Sea adjacent. Sea adjacent. He gets it too. Um, Okay. So Amaterasu, the powerful sun goddess of Japan, is the most well-known deity of Japanese mythology. So the sun goddess. Uh, her feuding with her brother uh, Susano, her uncontrollable brother, uh, however, is equally infamous and appears in several tales. One story tells about Susano's wicked behavior told Izanaki, who, tired of Susano's repeated complaints, banishes him to Yomi. He's like, You're annoying, you're going to hell with your mom. <laughs> so uh Susano grudgingly acquiesces, but he first uh has first to attend some unfinished business. He goes to Takamagahara. Heaven to bid farewell to his sister Amaterasu. Uh, And Amaterasu knows that he is unpredictable and does not have good intentions and is prepared for battle. She says, What for what purpose do you come here? And he says, To say farewell. But she does not believe him and requests a contest for proof of his good faith. Because you know, there's always contests in these things. (laughs) So a challenge is set to as who can bring forth more noble and divine children because they can make children as much as they can. So uh, Amaterasu creates three women from uh, Susano's sword, while Susano makes five men from Amaterasu's ornament chain. Um, Amaterasu claims the title to the five and are attributed to Susano. Uh, both gods com- declare themselves to be victorious, and Amaterasu insistence in her claims drives Suzano to violent campaigns that reach their climax when he hurls a half-flayed pony Which is an animal sacred to Amaterasu Into Amaterasu's weaving hall And causes the death of one of her attendants Aww Yeah, he's a real jerk So Amaterasu, angered by the display Hides in the cave called Iwayado As the sun goddess disappears into the cave Darkness covers the world Because she's the sun goddess Uh All of the gods and goddesses strive to coax Amaterasu Out of the cave, but she ignores them all She's like, no, I'm in my cave He threw a pony at my attendants um, A dead one uh, Finally the kami of merriment Ame no Uzume hatches a plan She places a large bronze mirror On a tree facing Amaterasu's cave Then Uzumi clothes herself In flowers and leaves Overturns a washtub and begins to dance upon it Drumming the tub with her feet Finally Uzumi sheds the leaves and flowers And dances naked All of the male gods roar with laughter And Amaterasu becomes curious What's everybody laughing about? <laughs> <laughs> When she peeks outside, a ray of light called dawn escapes, and Amaterasu is dazzled by the beautiful goddess that she sees, this being her own reflection in the mirror. She's like, oh, I look good. Uh, The god, Ameno Tajikaruahu, pulls her from the cave, which is sealed, um, and she doesn't go back in. Surrounded by merriment, Amaterasu's depression disappears, and she agrees to return with her light. And so... Uzumi is then known as the Kami of Dawn, as well as Mirth. So oh. two separate things, but there's a story why she's also the That's funny. goddess of Dawn. Um, according to traditional account of the Nihon Shoki, Japan was founded by Emperor Jimu in 660 BC. And Jimu is a descendant of the sun goddess Amaterasu through her grandson Ninigi, as well as a descendant of the storm god Susano. Uh, he launched a military expedition from Hyuga near the Seto Island Sea, captured Yamato and established this as his center of power in modern Japan Jimu's accession is marked as National Foundation Day on February 11th so he was a real guy probably not a descendant of a sun goddess but that's what he claimed so that's okay so let's talk about the seven lucky gods yes okay so in Japanese mythology to happy sleepy sneezy no no different grumpy yeah it's different we'll do that next May <laughs> We did that Nashville. at work. We did that at work. Well, someone did it at work. One of the guys did it. And of our facilities guys, they all got assigned cuz the head of facilities is a woman, Debbie, and all of the guys got she got to be Snow White and all the guys were assigned dwarves. And one of our guys was like so mad that he got Dopey. He was like, "I'm not Dopey." Like it was like, "See, this is why we don't assign nicknames to people." Allison Green of askamanager.org always says, "No, you should not have nicknames at work." Anyway, so, the seven lucky gods or seven gods of fortune are believed to grant good luck and often have their place in uh, netsuke engravings or in other representations. Do you know what a netsuke is? A uh, writing set. A netsuke? Uh, netsuke? Yes. Yeah, it's a writing set. It's actually, I mean, it can be. Uh, netsuke is like a general term uh-huh. for carved ivory like objects, mm-hmm. um, and usually they're like depictions of gods or whatever. But a lot of times they're like lucky animals and they're just like little figurines okay. and stuff. Um, There's also the RMSC has a very large collection of very beautiful Netsuke. They probably came from the Strong Museum. Uh, Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, So there you go. Go to RMSC to not see their Netsuke because they don't put them out. Um, Amongst the seven, not all of the gods are mythical characters as there is one who is a historical figure. Uh, These gods have been recognized as such for over a thousand years by a large number of followers. And in the beginning, these gods were worshipped by merchants as the first two, Ibisu and Daikokuten, were gods of business and trade. Uh, Subsequently, the other classes of Japanese society looked for other gods that could correspond with their professions. Benzaiten as the patron of the arts, uh, Fukurokuju as the patron of the sciences and so on so in ancient times these gods were worshipped separately but this rarely happens today only when it is required for the god to act on behalf of the worshiper okay. so it's kind of like saints you pray to okay. saint christopher kind of thing okay so let's go through them quickly ibisu uh mentioned earlier because he used to be like ahead. the messed up kid of the first two gods and they were like you get out of here well he shows up again um ibisu is the only one whose origins are purely japanese he is the god of prosperity and wealth and business and of plenitude and abundance in crops cereals and food in general he is the patron of fishermen and therefore is represented with a fisherman's costume such as a typical hat a fishing rod in his right hand and a fish that could either be a carp a hake or a codfish or a sea bass or any large fish in general that symbolizes abundance in meals such as a feast or banquet Uh, it is now common to see his figure in restaurants where fish is served in great quantities or in household kitchens. Uh, Daikokutin is the God of commerce and prosperity. There are other characteristics which have also been attributed to him, such as being the patron of cooks, farmers, bankers, and protector of crops. Uh, curiously, he is also considered a demon hunter. Uh, (laughs) legend says that the God Daikokuten hung a secret talisman on the branch of a tree in his garden. And by using this as a trap, he was able to catch a demon. Uh, this god is characterized by his smile, having short legs and wearing a hat on his head. So like, I don't know, half the men on earth, I guess. Um, he is usually depicted with a bag full of valuable objects. Uh, per the Butsu Zodzui Compendium of 1690, reprinted and expanded in 1796, uh, Daikoku can also manifest as a female known as Daikokunyo, she of the great blackness, or Daikokutenyo, she of the great blackness of the heavens. So Daikokuten is uh, either or, male okay. or female. Uh, Bishamonten origins can be traced back to Hinduism, but he has been adapted by the Japanese culture. He comes from the Hindu god uh, Kubera and is also known by the name uh, Visravana from Hindu culture. He is the god of fortune in war and battles, also associated with authority and dignity. He is the protector of those who follow the rules and behave appropriately. Uh, as the patron of fighters, he is represented dressed in armor and a helmet, carrying a pagoda in his left hand. He also acts as a protector of holy sites and important places and holds a spear in his right hand to fight against the evil spirits. He is usually depicted in illustrations with a hoop of fire. Ooh. So he has like a hula hoop of fire.
0: Someone's carrying around a fish. Yeah. Someone has a, a sack of... Just a valuables, s- I
1: guess? sack of valuables. <laughs> I don't know what and the valuables are. This guy a hula hoop, hoop on fire. And he's got a... a, a a big old hoop full of flame. Uh, finally, Hote is the god of fortune, guardian of the children, patron of diviners and barmen, and also the god of popularity. Heyo. Heyo. He is depicted as a fat, smiling, bald man with a curly mustache. Uh, he always appears half naked as his clothes are not wide enough to cover his enormous belly. Oh, He's so popular. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he blessed the Chinese and they nicknamed him Choteshi or Hoteishi, which means bag of old clothes. Uh, Hote was a Zen priest, but his appearance and some of his actions were against their moral condition. His appearance made him look like quite a mischievous person and he had no fixed place to sleep. So he was a homeless man,
0: homeless, popular
1: Zen priest. Uh, he carries a bag on his shoulders, which is according to beliefs loaded with fortunes for those who believe in his virtues uh Hote's traits and virtue are contentment, magnanimous, and happiness. The legend explains that Hote was a real person. his Chinese name was kaishi, and even though it seems that his date of birth is unknown, his death is recorded as March nine sixteen <laughs> so apparently he was like a real guy. Like, huh. he was just like a chubby, fun, homeless man. Great! <laughs> so the next two gods are sometimes omitted, okay they're not in the original seven, but they should be mentioned anyway so the god uh, Fukurokuju has his origins in China. It is believed that he used to be a hermit during the Chinese Song Dynasty, distinguished for being a reincarnation of the Taoist god, Xuanwu. He is the god of wisdom, luck, longevity, wealth, and happiness. This god receives certain credits, such as one of the Chinese philosophers who could live without eating. So like a breatharian. Oh, wow. Yeah. Moreover, he is the only god who is said to have the ability to resurrect the dead. Uh, Kuju is characterized by the size of his head being almost as large as the size of his whole body and is represented wearing traditional Chinese costumes. He normally carries a cane in one hand and in the other, a scroll with writings about the world. He is usually accompanied by a turtle, a crow, or a deer, animals that are frequently used in Japan to symbolize a long life. Um, it is also said that he likes to play chess. And so he is also credited for being the patron of chess players. He also likes long walks on the beach and enjoys a Coney Island hot dog whenever he gets the chance. Um, no, that's not true, but it's, these things are very like specific. Yeah. Uh, finally, another God that is sometimes omitted is uh, Kichijoten, a Kichi Joten goddess who is adapted via Buddhism from the Hindu goddess Lakshmi. Uh, Kichi Joten was given the traits, beauty, happiness, and fertility. And Kichijoten iconography is distinguished from the other uh, goddesses by the gem in her hand. She has a gem. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Also, during the first three days of the New Year, the seven lucky gods are said to pilot through the heavens to human ports, uh, the Takarabune, or treasure ship. A picture of the ship forms an essential part of traditional Japanese New Year celebrations. So you'll see that in, like, New Year's, like, artwork. Mm -hmm. Quick thing on mythological creatures in Japanese mythology. Mm, Okay. Uh, Namatsu, or Anamatsu, is a giant catfish who causes earthquakes. Uh, He lives in the mud under the islands of Japan and is guarded by the god Kashima, who restrains the catfish with a stone. When Kashima lets his guard fall, Namatsu thrashes about, causing violent earthquakes. Um, Catfish are depicted on pictures of emergency earthquake preparedness activities in Japan.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
1: For example, uh, the Earthquake Early Warning logo by the Japan Meteorological Agency utilizes pictures of the catfish on devices capable of issuing an early warning. <laughs> the popular Earthquake Early Warning mobile app, uh, Yurikuru Call, also has a catfish as their icon. <laughs>
0: uh, Do they
1: eat catfish there? I don't know. Um, maybe? Possibly? I'm not 100% yeah. Sure. Um, There's also Yamato no Oroki, uh, which is the eight-branched giant snake, or just Oroki. Um, It is a legendary eight-headed and eight-tailed Japanese dragon. He's usually like the bad guy in a lot of the stories. Uh, Kitsune, in the literal sense, is the Japanese word for fox, specifically the red fox of East Asia. Foxes are a common subject of Japanese folklore, and in English, kitsune refers to them in this context. Uh, stories depict legendary foxes as intelligent beings and are possessing paranormal abilities that increase with their age and wisdom. According to yokai folklore, all foxes have the ability to shapeshift into human forms. Uh, while some folktales speak of kitsune employing this ability to trick others, as foxes in folklore often do across the world, um, other stories portray them as faithful guardians, friends, lovers, and wives. Um, they are very popular as anime characters. Foxes. Yes. Uh, Kitsune specifically, this the idea. eight-headed snake, less so. Less so, yes. Um, yeah. Anime is not super into, like, if you want to do something cute, like a Kitsune fox, um, that's good. Great. But, like, you're not doing a, you're not doing a dragon. <laughs> eight-headed dragon. That'd be very hard to cosplay. <laughs> Although you know that's a good you challenge. Need seven friends. Yep, you need. Seven Maybe that's friends. what your facilities could do next year. <laughs> be like, guys, no, sit down. I have a great idea. You're gonna be strapped all together. It's gonna be so good. I know you all don't get along, but it's gonna be great. I promise. It's totally worth it. Um, so that was my uh wide ranging topic on I Japanese folklore.
0: Have never heard any of that. A of all, mm-hmm.
1: and. Be of all, your Japanese pronunciations were impeccable. Well, uh, you would think so because you don't speak Japanese, so <laughs> <let's see. laughs> So our friend Carly Carly, please be gentle when you send me your lovely critiques of my pronunciation. but thank you, I appreciate it. Um, so, as inspiration of the seven lucky gods, um my quiz today is called "Thereafter': a Quiz on lucky Charms. Question number one. This giant flying bird, when not around someone's neck, is considered a sign of good luck when seen by sailors. What bird am I talking about? Question number two. The sacred lotus is one of eight auspicious symbols known as the Ashtamangala in Tibetan Buddhism. It is also the national flower of India and what easternmost country on the Indochina Peninsula? Question number three. True or false, four is the largest amount of leaves a clover can have. Question number four. Speaking of clovers, the shamrock used as a symbol of Ireland is said to have been used by St. Patrick as a metaphor for what religious concept? Question number five. You can find a wishbone in any delicious bird of fowl being roasted in your home, but where is the wishbone in a bird? A. The sternum, B. The thigh, or C. The clavicle? Question number six, if you can think back to episode 31, Diamonds Are Forever, you would remember that there are two types of jade, jadeite and this, which gets its name for its reputed efficacy in curing ailments of the loins and kidneys. Question number seven, the fitting of horseshoes can be a dangerous occupation, but it's a real one where individuals learn a little blacksmithing and a little veterinary skill. What is the job title for someone who specializes in equine hoof care? Question number eight. Tortoiseshell cats are named as such for their unique coloring. But are true tortoiseshell coats made up of two colors or three colors? Question number nine. While a symbol of good luck in other countries, this particular animal in English has come to mean a spectacular and prestigious thing that is more trouble than it's worth or has outlived its usefulness to the person who has it. While the item may be useful to others, its current owner would usually be glad to be rid of it what am i talking about and finally question number 10 i'm going to name four lucky charms and you're going to tell me if they were an official not limited edition lucky charms marshmallow at one point in the cereal's history or not one crystal ball two frog three rainbow and four hourglass we'll give you a minute to think about it and we'll be right back with answers I love this. Okay, great. I love it. Good. I was very excited about this. I actually wrote it down on a Post-it note, um, and my boss saw it because she was asking me about budget stuff, and I was like, I wonder what she thinks when I wrote on my Post-it note next to my computer. (laughs) They're after me. They're after (laughs) them. So... We'll see. <laughs> uh, okay. Question number one. This giant flying bird, when not around someone's neck, is considered a sign of good luck when seen by sailors. What bird am I talking about? It's an albatross. It is an albatross. They're huge. Have you ever seen an albatross, like, in person, dead or alive? Uh,
0: not that, not like that I knew it was.
1: Okay. Uh, the wingspans of the <laughs> largest great albatrosses are the largest of any bird, exceeding 11.2 feet. What? What? That's like the
0: I length no of this idea. room.
1: Yeah, it's out of control. It's like four, eight arm's length. Yeah. <laughs> Just like that That palace. Um, they also, this is weird, they also have a salt gland that removes salt from seawater so they can drink it. It's like in their beak. Ooh, yeah. That's which that's interesting. Very. You
0: would have thought that like scientists would have.
1: Yeah, got on that. Stolen that. I know, but like, I guess not. More important things to do, I guess. Question number two. The sacred lotus is one of eight auspicious symbols known as the Ashtamangala in Tibetan Buddhism. It is also the national flower of India and what easternmost country on the Indochina Peninsula?
0: I'm going to say Laos. Is it Cambodia? No.
1: I, do you want to keep guessing?
0: <laughs> is, no, go ahead. Okay.
1: Uh, you're very close. It's Vietnam. <sighs>
0: See, I wasn't. No,
1: I wasn't going to get there. Oh, Vietnam. you were going to get there? Okay. Um like I knew
0: f- that is there, but I don't associate them with a lotus.
1: Oh, I see. Okay, um, yeah, that's why I wrote the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so about the lotus, under favorable circumstances, the seeds of the lotus may remain viable for many years. With the oldest recorded lotus germination being from that of seeds 1,300 years old, recovered from a dry lake bed in northeastern China. Wow, isn't that crazy? So the seed vault is going to work. It's going to be totally fine. At least with the lotus le- lotus seeds. Okay, question number three: True or false? Four is the largest amount of leaves a clover can have. False. You are correct. False. Clovers can have more than four leaves. Five-leaf clovers are less commonly found naturally than four-leaf clovers. However, they too have been successfully cultivated. Uh, Some four-leaf clover collectors, particularly in Ireland, regard the five-leaf clover, known as a rose clover, as a particular prize. Mm. Um, in exceptionally rare cases, clovers are able to grow with six leaves and more in nature. The most leaves ever found on a single clover stem is 56 and was discovered by Shigeo Obara of Hanamaki city in Iwate, Japan on May 10th, 2009. He wrote it down. Um, it <laughs> That is, seems like there was some nuclear shit. I know right there. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> <uh-oh>. <laughs> um, uh it is claimed that there are approximately 10,000 three-leaf clovers for every four-leaf clover. Oh, okay. However, an actual survey of over 5 million clovers found the real frequency to be closer to 5,000 to 1, twice the said probability. Um I don't know who is counting a bunch like 5 <laughs> That's million a lot of work, clovers. Man. It's Again, too much. Science. <sighs> they got priorities. Priorities, <laughs> exactly. Okay, question number four. Speaking of clovers, the shamrock, used as a symbol of Ireland, is said to have been used by St. Patrick as a metaphor for what religious concept? Uh, The Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity. Legend credits credits Patrick with teaching the Irish about the doctrine of the Holy Trinity by showing people the shamrock, using it to illustrate the Christian teaching of three persons and one god. The story first appeared in writing in 1726, though it may be older. The shamrock has since become a central symbol for St. Patrick's Day. Very easy to draw on a dry erase uh, calendar, by the way. Uh, question number five. You can find a wishbone in any delicious bird of fowl being roasted in your home. But where is the wishbone in a bird? A, the sternum, B, the thigh, or C, the clavicle? I think it's... I, oh, Now I'm confused.
0: Okay. I, I think it's supposed to be the sternum, but
1: I was like surprised to learn that it's not.
0: Okay. I'm going to say the clavicle.
1: You are correct. It is the clavicle. Um, like we've been lied to. Yeah, we've been lied to. Um, it's the technical, the technical term for the wishbone. is called the furcular, and it is a bird's fused clavicle. So you know how we have two clavicle bones and a hole in the middle where you, the supersternal yeah. notch is right there. Um, in a bird, it connects because it has to support the tendon that helps oh, them like, okay. flap their wings. Sure. Um, I wrote, I, I mean, I read too much about it on Wikipedia. <laughs> I was like, that's fascinating. Okay, question number six. If you can think back to episode 31, Diamonds Are Forever, you would remember that there are two types of jade, jadeite and this, which gets its name from its reputed e- efficacy in curing ailments of the loins and kidneys. How about healing jade?
0: <laughs> I mean... How about...
1: Mm, think about kidneys, kidneys. Jewel. Kidneys. He
0: needs a kidney. <laughs> um nef mm. nef oh yeah. uh. Fre- jade
1: <laughs> 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 I made the uh, the chorus teacher, like stop motion. I made the chorus teacher hand gesture of like, ah, like (laughs) (laughs) it's very effective though. You're right. It's nephrite. I'm going to give that to you. (laughs) It's nephrite. It's nephrite. Jadeite is lighter in color and softer and nephrite is a darker green and harder. They usually used it for like, like knives and things. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Question number seven, the fitting of horseshoes can be a dangerous occupation, but it's a real one where individuals learn a little blacksmithing and a little veterinary skill. What is the job title for someone who specializes in equine hoof care? Farrier. It is a farrier. Um, farriers do the trimming and balancing of horses' hooves and the placing of shoes on their hooves if necessary. Uh, a farrier combines some blacksmith skills, which is fabricating, adapting, and adjusting metal shoes, with some veterinarian skills, knowledge of the anatomy and physiology of the lower limb to care for horses' feet. Cool. I also learned recently that a horse's legs are actually its fingers.
0: Yeah, that's weird when you think yeah, about it. Yeah, it is weird. A lot.
1: But it's not, though, it's their legs. You know, just like, like just because it's a different bone. <laughs> just because it's a different just one bone. Finger? Just one finger. And then the hoof is their toenail. It's like their nail. Aww. I know it's weird. Okay. Question number eight. Tortoiseshell cats are named as such for their unique coloring, but are true tortoiseshell coats made up of two colors or three colors? I'll say two. You are correct. It is called party color, and are, uh, it's I know, and it's often described as red and black, but it can be any combo of any two colors. Party color. Party color. Uh, calico cats have three colors. Okay. Um, like calicos, tortoiseshell cats are almost exclusively female, and male tortoiseshells are rare and are usually sterile because um, the gene is carried on the X chromosome, and male tortoiseshells have three chromosomes: two X's and a Y.
0: Now I don't know a lot about cat genetics oh sure yeah but it's really interesting like aren't most orange cats male cats too i guess like yeah and like like there's certain kinds that are more likely to be one gender or the other and that's really interesting
1: yeah and like um all if a cat is all white and has blue eyes it's deaf have you heard that oh yeah like a Again, Lauren, I'm not an expert oh, that's in true. cat genetics. That's true. You did just tell me that. Yeah. Um, yeah. An all white cat, like a snow white cat with uh-huh. no other markings. If he has blue eyes, he's deaf. Wow. It's like the marker for that is like really like closely connected to it, which is kind of cool. We should do a whole episode on cat <laughs> genetics.
0: Um, you're, you're signed up for that. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. Put it on <laughs> you the You volunteered.
1: A little bit more about tortoiseshell cats. Dating back to Celtic times, tortoiseshell cats have been perceived to bring good fortune into their homes. Even today, the Irish and Scottish believe stray tortoiseshell cats bring them luck. Um, In the United States, tortoiseshells are sometimes referred to as money cats. According to celebrity cat expert Jackson Galaxy, tortoiseshell cats tend to have a much more distinct personality. Uh, Question number nine. Uh, While a symbol of good luck in other countries, this particular animal in English has come to mean a spectacular and prestigious thing that is more trouble than it's worth, or has outlived its usefulness to the person who has it. While the item may be useful to others, its current owner would usually be glad to be rid of it. What am I talking about? I'm guessing a white elephant. You are absolutely correct. Um, A white elephant is actually a rare kind of elephant, but not a distinct species. Um, Although often depicted as snow white, their skin is normally a soft reddish brown, turning a light pink when wet. Isn't that the cutest thing you've ever heard? Like a -a heffalump. Yeah. They have um, blonde eyelashes and toenails. Uh, They're a sign of good luck in Persia, Thailand, and in the religion of Hinduism in general, and are often kept by the monarchy in some countries of Southeast Asia as like a symbol of good luck and fortune and all that stuff. Okay, finally, the question we've been getting to. Question number 10. I'm going to name four Lucky Charms, and you're going to tell me if they were an official, not limited edition, Lucky Charms marshmallow at one point in the cereal's history or not. Okay, are you ready? hmm Okay. Crystal Ball. I can picture the Crystal Ball marshmallow. I'm going to say yes, it was. It was. You are correct. Frog. No. You are correct. Rainbow. Yes. Absolutely. Hourglass. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, I know your my marshmallows. Hell yeah. A um, couple of things about Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms marshmallows are officially called Marbits by General Mills. I didn't know that. And each of the existing permanent marshmallows have a power associated with them. Are you ready for this? <laughs> this is part of Lucky Charms official content. <laughs> okay. All right. Hearts have the power to bring things to life. Shooting stars, power to fly. Horseshoes, power to speed things up. Green clovers, luck, but you will never know what kind of luck you will get. Jeez. Blue moons, power of invisibility. Rainbows, instantaneous travel from place to place. Red balloons, power to make things float. And the unicorn, which was recent, came out last year. Mm-hmm. According to the inaugural cereal box, unicorns can, quote, cleanse water with a touch of their horn heal whatever troubles you, and, quote, always knows when you are telling the truth. This is copy, official, lucky charm from General, General Mills. Mills. Yes. Some dum-dum who thought that they were going to be a poet. They went to college for creative <laughs> writing, and they had reams of chapbooks, uh-huh. and they were like, I'm going to be a famous writer one day. I'm going to go to New York City. And then they were like, oh, I guess I'll work for General Mills for a little while, and this is what they came up with i like that the clover will bring you luck but you don't know what kind (laughs) i know i I want to know more about that did they like write like a whole backstory about the clover is like some kind of like weird neutral chaotic energy that (laughs)
0: like
1: what they couldn't fit it on that Uh, they couldn't i guess not anyway (laughs) well thank you lauren oh thank you julia um so uh if you uh would like to critique my Japanese pronunciation, <laughs> you can uh email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. Please reach out to us. We love interacting with our listeners. Um you can uh tweet at us on Twitter at misinfopod. Um we have a Facebook page, Misinformation Colon, a trivia podcast. Um and we have a website, triple dub dot
0: and you can stream us on our website yep. and get us pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts um, now.
1: We're on Spotify now. on Spotify now. now. You guys, you guys were famous. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, like, I know that you guys are already listening to us. Sure, of you course. Didn't, you found us not on Spotify. Exactly. But, but maybe this will be a way to get your other friends who are like only Spotify
1: listeners. I don't think I know anybody I who's know. like a only Spotify podcast listener, but I might be wrong about that.
0: Yeah, hey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Total friend. friend. Yeah, and it's really fun to read the reviews and stuff. Thank you guys so much to people are who, so have, nice.
1: who have recommended <laughs> us and
0: written things about us. It's really fun to read. Yeah,
1: sometimes I think, are, they, are we talking about the same people? <laughs> <laughs> like, we know we're great, but are we this great? I guess we are this great. see yeah you you did that boost before you went to your conference absolutely i needed i probably should have read it before i actually walked into the conference that probably would have helped out a lot (laughs) anyway um so thanks so much for listening guys we'll get you next time Bye. Bye. bye Um, And they would be responsible for the creation of the Japanese Archipelago. You're doing great. Archipelago. (laughs) (laughs) Bring me a cup of that. the best coffee on the island. (laughs) Mm, Archipelago. We should. Oh, my God. We should write
0: that. We should write it down. down. Copyright.
1: Copyright. Miss InfoPod. (laughs) First, we have to create a a limited liability company. And then.
0: And then it's ours.
1: Archipelago is our thing. All right. So. (laughs) Okay.